Well, the Red Raiders open Big 12 conference play with the series win over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. We'll look back on that one and look ahead to the University of South Florida Bulls coming to Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome, Welcome. to Dinger Derby, the official podcast of RedRaiderDugout.com. The only website completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join Keith Patrick twice a week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into Dinger Derby, folks, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider Baseball. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. Glad to be with you for another week of Red Raider Baseball. Texas Tech has improved to 16-4 and on the season, and I am so proud to say that Red Raider Dugout has been there with you every step of the way this season, and we will continue to be there for you, providing coverage of every game that this Texas Tech baseball team plays. It's been a lot of fun for Randy Rosetta and myself, and we are looking forward to more success this season and bringing you more information and more coverage of this team. So go out there and check redraiderdugout.com out and see what it looks like, see if you like it. I'm doing my best to get those stories out on social media, help us share those. Of course, as always, go like, review, and subscribe to Dinger Derby. Appreciate your support in all the things we're doing on Red Raider Dugout and with the Dinger Derby podcast. But let's talk about some Texas Tech baseball as the Red Raiders host the Oklahoma State Cowboys in what has become one of the most hotly contested series over the last few years in college baseball. Last time a Big 12 opponent was at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park, it was the Cowboys. And that 2019 Super Regional, of course made famous by the Kurt Wilson home run to take the lead late in that one. So Kurt Wilson, the hero of that OSU series, the hero of that season in many ways, and he had a moment again this weekend that we'll get to in a minute. But Friday night... 6.30 p.m. hosting the Cowboys. It was Parker Scott who got the start for Oklahoma State. He has been really good on the mound for them this season, and he was really good that night as well as Scott ended up going seven innings pitched. He gave up six hits but no runs, one walk, and he struck out nine Red Raiders. Tech answered, though, with their own star on the mound who had his best outing so far of the season in Brandon Birdsell, the transfer from San Jacinto College. He goes seven innings pitched. He gives up two hits, two runs, only one earned, one walk as well and nine strikeouts of his own. He lowered his ERA from a 460 to a 357 through 94 pitches in those seven innings. Birdsell was excellent for Texas Tech that night, but what he didn't get a lot of was run support from the Red Raiders as Texas Tech was shut out in their own house for the first time since 2018 against West Virginia. They lost it 2-0 that night, and it was a crazy series of events that allowed the Cowboys to scratch those two runs across in the fourth inning that ended up being enough. As I said, Texas Tech had six hits on the night. They out-hit the Cowboys 6-3, to but unable to scratch the runs across when they needed them. They left the bases loaded twice this evening. They stranded 10, ultimately, on the evening. 
in that fifth inning when the Cowboys did get those two runs across. It was a leadoff strikeout for Birdsell to catcher Max Hewitt and then a double to right center field for the first baseman Nolan McLean that kind of got things started. You had Caden Trinkle, the right fielder. He reaches on an E2. And it's really just a catcher's interference. It's something that happens on his swing. His back contacts Braxton Fulford's glove, so he gets a free base. So you've got two men aboard, one at first and one at second. Then there's a ground out to first base unassisted by Houston Morrill, the shortstop. Not Easton Morrell, but Houston Morrill for the Cowboys. So two outs then. You have two men aboard, one's in scoring position, and then things get a little bit funky. So it's a little short hop single to third base. Parker Kelly charges on it, can't get it to first in time. Very difficult play, and that's an RBI single for the pinch hitter, Noah Seifert. So Seifert is aboard. He's batted a run home. It's McLean who hit the double, and then you end up with Trinkle on third base. But then the Cowboys on the next batter try to execute a double steal. And they successfully do it. But part of that double steal is a steal of home. So for the second time in a calendar week, home is stolen at Dandoff Field at Rip Griffin Park. The first time it was Dylan Noisy against UConn. This time it was the Cowboys against the Red Raiders. So they get home and they get the safe call. But then Braxton Fulford, in an incredible heads-up play, realizes the ball is still live and he catches... Seifert shading off of second base on his way to third, also not paying attention. So Fulford fires to second base, and you end up with a rundown, and it's a 2-4-5-6 put out there to get Seifert and in the frame. Review then confirms that the runner is indeed safe because Trinkle, as he slid, he slid between Braxton Fulford's legs and was able to get to the plate before Fulford got the tag down on that stolen base. So it is an executed steal. There's the two runs, and really that ended up being the story of the evening. As I said, the starter, Parker Scott, was great for the Cowboys. Brett Stanley, their save specialist, comes in, the closer. He walks in with a 129 ERA. He goes two full scoreless innings and hitless innings, five strikeouts, and walks out with an ERA of .82. For the Red Raiders, Levi Wells came in in relief following Jamie Hitt, who struggled a little bit very early and really only faced one batter, giving up a hit. Wells comes in with two really nice scoreless and hitless innings of his own. He fans one and walks one, but ultimately Tech just not able to get the runs across that night. On the Saturday game, it was a different story. It was still another close game. The Red Raiders do get the 4-2 win that day. They are actually out hit by the Cowboys 9-6, to but Tech able to get the runs across when it matters. It was a day that Jace Young was unable to get a hit. He went 0-3 with a walk that day, but he booked web gym after web gym. I've actually got four in my book for him. Fantastic ground outs, throws back to first from his knee, great line outs to him ending frames. You had back-to-back-to-back innings for the Red Raiders that ended with double plays. So the defensive play that day for Tech was excellent, and that really made a huge difference all the way around. But there you go. Kurt Wilson got things opened up in the third as he hits his first home run for the Red Raiders since the 2019 Super Regional against Oklahoma State. So Kurt Wilson doesn't hit many home runs, but when he hits them, 
he hits him against the Cowboys as he hits a solo shot to left field for Texas Tech, opens it up one nothing over Oklahoma State. And then it's in the fourth after Oklahoma State does play one run of their own to tie it up. The Red Raiders put up a three spot in the bottom of the fourth. It's a leadoff double by Dylan Noisy. He ends up scoring on an E9. And it was a kind of crazy play. As it's basically a swinging bunt into the infield that's then an E1 allowing Cal Conley aboard as... The starter, Justin Robleski, throws it past first base, so there's the E1, and then an even worse throw, relaying it back in from right field is what ends up scoring Noisy. You end up plating three in that inning, Noisy, Rombach, who walked, and Conley, and that's on an RBI by Braxton Fulford and a single later by Kurt Wilson. It was just what you needed to be able to do because then Texas Tech is shut down the rest of the way. They do give up one run in the ninth off a leadoff walk, a wild pitch to Nolan McLean, but Micah Dallas, who had come in in relief for Patrick Monteverdi, who was also excellent. Dallas, although he was a little bit wild, did have it under control. He threw one hit, one run, one walk, and five Ks in his outing and did a nice job in relief there, earning the save, his first save of the season. Monteverdi improved to 4-0 and as he goes six innings pitch, six hits, one run, one walk, and three Ks for the Red Raiders. So Monteverdi gives up another run, another walk, adds three more strikeouts to the total. He's got a 1.03 ERA. He threw 62 strikes in 86 pitches on Saturday. It was another nice outing. It was another close game, but Tech only stranded three this day and did a really good job getting runners home when you needed them. And for the Sunday offering, man, it was another nail-biting game for Texas Tech. The Red Raiders win it 6-5. to five. They lead throughout the day. They put up three in the third, two in the fourth, one in the fifth, but then Tech is held scoreless the rest of the way, and the 6-1 lead begins to deteriorate down into the 6-5 lead. The game stretches out longer and longer, and Tech is unable to get out of the top of the ninth. It takes forever. The basketball game has started by then. The crowd has dwindled some at Dan Lawfield at Rip Griffin Park, but finally... It's Derek Bridges who comes in for the final batter in relief of Connor Queen and Brendan Girton there at the end. And Bridges finally does fan the final batter, Justin Campbell, the DH, the freshman phenom pitcher who actually is batting that day, gives him the platinum sombrero, five strikeouts on the day for Campbell, and Derek Bridges gets his first save of the season. Ryan Sublette was actually the winning pitcher on the day. He improves to 3-0. and Mason Montgomery had a pretty good start, but the Cowboys did a great job spoiling pitches and pushing Montgomery's pitch count higher. He went three and a third, 78 pitches thrown. He had three hits, one run, three walks, three st- strikeouts. Andrew Devine turned in two pretty good innings of relief work. He did allow two runs, had three strikeouts in there. And then Ryan Sublette, two and two-thirds scoreless innings. He had five Ks. Sublette was pumping 96-mile-an-hour gas and did a really nice job. They bring in Connor Queen. He goes two-thirds, but he's unable to get things under control, ultimately gives up two earned runs and a walk as well as a hit. Brendan Girton comes in. He's unable to find the strike zone, and he's exits after 
recording no outs, and that's when Bridges comes in. Couple of home runs on the day. Jace Young is first on that list. He hits a two-run no-doubter in the bottom of the third for Texas Tech. He scores himself and Drew Baker. Drew Baker had an RBI doubled into the left corner that had scored Dylan Noisy. A little shakeup in the lineup this day. Noisy goes into the one hole. Baker moves down to the three hole. Young batting cleanup this day. Romback moves up uh, into the five spot while Conley's in the two hole. And Coach Tadlock talked a little bit in the postgame about that lineup and uh, how he felt about it and that they'd used it before. But it was Drew Baker who has been hitting so well for Texas Tech. He reached 11 straight times against UConn. He batted 500 against the Huskies. He batted 538 against the Cowboys. This is what he had to say about moving around in the lineup and his thought process as far as that goes. Yeah, I was a little surprised today. I saw my name in the three spot, but I knew that he wanted me to be the same guy. He just kind of wanted to move some other guys around. So I just kind of stuck to my approach. And if that's one or that's nine or that's seven, doesn't matter really where it is. I'm just going to try to get on base and score some runs for my team. I love the mentality of Drew Baker. He's having such a great season right now and just still humble in it, but love the fire he brings to the field. He's also been playing an excellent left field for Tech. He's really been limiting extra base hits, turning them into singles, and doing a really nice job out there all the way around and showing, hey, you move me around wherever you need me, I'm going to keep doing the work. So Jace Young with a no-doubter to right field. He came into the game tied with a K-State player. They both had a home run on Sunday, so still tied for the Big 12 lead with eight. But Young does lead the Big 12 with 29 RBIs on the season. So it's really been a loud season for Jace Young, really outpacing Josh Young as far as the the raw numbers look right now. And we'll talk a little bit more about stats in in a few minutes. Braxton Fulford ultimately comes around to score again. He walks and scores on an error in the fourth. Cody Masters also walks and is advanced on that error, comes around to score as well. So really, again, defensive miscues by the Cowboys. Red Raiders really capitalizing on those. But it was the top of that ninth that was such a nail-biter and so difficult for Tech to get out of. But you know what? They did. They did get out of it. And you can look all the way back, and it hasn't been since the Texas Southern midweek series that the Red Raiders had have had a no-doubt win. Since then, every game has been close late. Even the 8-0 victory over Sam Houston State was still a pretty tight ball game until the Cal Conley Grand Slam. The 10-3 win over UConn was still a tight ball game going into the late innings. So Texas Tech has won some really close ball games. They've lost one close ball game. And I really think that that shows them what they're capable of as they go along. And I know that's something that, you know, journalists like to write about and talk about and, and all that. But I was able to ask these guys, hey, does this really make a difference for you? Does it help you out? And they said, yeah. And what I really was impressed with was the intensity that Jace Young continues to bring to this team to bring to the field and where his brother was a guy that went into the dugout after a bad AB and flushed a miniature toilet to flush that bat at bat. Jace Young's a guy that uses passion and intensity to do that stuff. I asked him about that a little bit and here's what he had to say. Yeah, I would say, uh, I love bringing the intensity hit, whatever defensive play. Someone makes a play, just 
getting fired up, get everybody's intensity up, keeping the dugout up on the feet. Let's go. It's chatter. It's chatter. And, you know, I personally believe that I try my best to keep everybody up. You get out, you know what, let's go. Next play, next play. So I try to really hone in on keeping the intensity in the dugout up and on the field. Would you say that that intensity is how you flush, you know, negativity, bad things happening for you and for the team? Yeah, for sure. You know, just keeping it up because they got to come up there and hit too, just like we do. So just intensity. Don't let one bat at bat carry to the field. You can hear there, Jace Young, a different guy from his brother, a great, thoughtful baseball player still in his own right, but just a completely different personality and really brings that intensity to the field. And you could see it in some of the pictures that the great photographers of Texas Tech Athletics were taking in this Sunday game. So Tech gets the Big 12 opener series win. They win it 2-1 over Oklahoma State. Tech's RPI jumped on Warren Nolan up 40 spots to about 30. Uh, The NCAA RPI has not begun yet this season, but it's a nice jump for Tech. They're getting up close to that top 25 in RPI. They're benefiting from Gonzaga leaving Lubbock and going and beating TCU. They're benefiting from UConn's wins and Gonzaga's wins since then, and I think they'll continue to benefit from those opponents. George did a little research for us and saw, you know, Tech has had 20 games. 12 of those games are quadrant one games for the Red Raiders, and eight of those games are quadrant four. There's nobody in between. So it remains to be seen where the University of South Florida Bulls will stand in that RPI assistance as Tech goes into a final non-conference weekend hosting those Bulls. As we walk into that weekend, let's talk just briefly about stats. And Jace Young is leading the Red Raiders. He's batting a 403 on the season. He's slugging 806 right now. As I mentioned, the Big 12 tie, the tie for the Big 12 lead with eight home runs, 29 RBIs on the season. He leads Tech with 58 total bases. He also leads Tech with 18 walks. Dylan Noisy not far behind him with 16. Drew Baker with 13. Kurt Wilson with 14 walks. Jace Young's on-base percentage is a 521. Also leads the team. Drew Baker not far behind with a 484. Baker is hitting a 395. Good for second on the team. He's actually your hits leader right now with 32 hits. He's got 81 at bats. Not a not a surprise considering he has been in the leadoff most of the year. Cal Conley right behind him with 80 ABs, Young with 72. Drew Baker also your runs leader. He's got 27 runs scored. That's seven more than second on the team, Jace Young. It has been an excellent offensive season for the top end of your lineup. The bottom still finding its rhythm. Cody Masters still working in at DH. Kurt Wilson, Easton Morrell still swapping places in right field. Parker Kelly still in and out of third base, although right now more in than not. He's so strong defensively at third base. And then Braxton Fulford and Nate Rombach. Cole Stillwell still working in and out of catcher. Some first base for the last two of those guys as you kind of move up and down. When you look at the pitching side of things on the Texas Tech stat lines, Patrick Monteverdi now 29 innings pitched. His ERA is a .93, his whip at a .66. He's 4-0 on the season. He's going to have 16 hits, 
four runs, three of them earned, three walks, 30 strikeouts. That's 30 strikeouts to three walks. That's a pretty good ratio. He's given up two extra base hits on the season, two doubles, and that's in 100 at-bats. He's giving up a batting average by his opponents of a 160. Mason Montgomery, 22 and two-thirds, as does Brandon Birdsell. Both of their ERAs in the three range, Montgomery at a 3.18, Birdsell at a 3.57, both giving up a low 200 batting average, Montgomery a 2.28, and Birdsell a 2.11. So Texas Tech, from the pitching standpoint, things are looking pretty good. No midweek this week for them to contend with, so you'll have the full complement of folks available on the weekend. Now, we asked Coach Tadlock last Thursday about that starting rotation, and it was staying the same. Micah Dallas was, of course, available out of the pen, and they used him as he put in three innings on Saturday. He said he was comfortable starting Dallas. He was comfortable starting all the other guys that were starting as well, and it was just didn't feel like the time to move anybody around or shake anything up. Still doesn't really feel like that time to me as Burtzel had his best outing of the year on Friday, and you had Monteverdi with another great start. Montgomery a little bit shakier, but you also kind of expect a rubber match game uh, to see the bats come alive, and he's faced a bunch of pinch hitters and some other adversity through the day. So I still don't think you'll see a big rotation change this weekend, and Micah Dallas just kind of is where he is at this moment. We'll see on Thursday what that looks like. I'll let you know on social media as soon as we know what is going on with this team and what that starting rotation will look like. So as I said, Texas Tech 16-4 and on the season. They did have that winning streak snap. They had ended at 14 games on Friday night, ended that home winning streak at 23, but now another opportunity to start one right back up. Red Raiders sitting at 800 on the season, looking really good as far as things go, and an opportunity to get another bit of work under your belt before they hit the road. This is the end of a 12-game homestand, and then they'll head to Manhattan, Kansas to face K-State. They do have that game now updated, those K-State games, to be on ESPN Plus this weekend against South Florida. Those will also be on ESPN Plus at 6.30 on Friday, 2 p.m. on Saturday, and 1 p.m. On Sunday, K State, as you look way ahead, that's Easter weekend. So you got a Thursday at six, a Friday at six, and a Saturday at 4 p.m. up there in Kansas. So let's look ahead to the South Florida Bulls, talk a little bit about them, and then we're going to call this one good. South Florida coming out of the American Athletic Conference. It's sometimes a pretty wonky baseball conference. It can really be turned on its head with a bunch of teams just beating each other up through the season. South Florida's 9-8 and eight so far this year. They're on a two-game win streak. They opened the season with three losses at Florida Gulf Coast. That was a tough one. They went into 10 innings in the first one. They lost 1-4, 6-11, and 10-12 to Gulf Coast. They followed that with a four-game sweep of Florida A&M. They won a doubleheader in 3-1 in seven innings, then 13-0, 9-4, 9-8. And then a sweep of Stetson, who hasn't quite made it back to the heights that they found a few years ago heading to that Super Regional. So they sweep Stetson, two on the road, and then one back at home. They had a postponed game with Florida State. Then they played Florida Gulf Coast again in another three-game stand, this one a home and away, and they ended up getting swept again. 
They lose one to Stetson, trying to find some opponents out there in Florida. Many of their games are by attendance is by team pass list only, so no fans in attendance at a lot of these games. So there's going to be a whole different ball game coming to Danlaw Field at Rip Griffin Park. I'll tell you that there's only four teams in the country that have had more than 4,000 fans at a baseball game this year in their home ballpark, and that's Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Two sellout crowds this weekend, over 4,400 fans on Friday and Saturday for the Red Raiders, and they join some of the larger venues in the country having big crowds over the weekend, another opportunity for it this weekend against the Bulls. Most recently for South Florida, they played Florida Atlantic again. Those were at home with no crowd in attendance. They lost the first one 1-5, to and then they won 4 nothing and 6-5 in 11 innings. They will be playing on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Monday, March 22nd. They will have a game on Tuesday against North Florida. They're at their home ballpark again with no fans in attendance. So I'm sensing that there's going to be a little bit of fan shock as they walk into one West Texas coming from Florida, and they're going to walk into a house you know, with 3,500 to 4,000 people in it, maybe more, depending on the weather. So that will be a little bit different for them and certainly can juice the Red Raiders and intimidate the Bulls. As far as the starting pitching goes for South Florida, their Friday starter, at least last weekend, was Jake Jasiak. He went seven innings pitched, five hits, four runs, none of them earned, one walk and seven strikeouts. He threw 101 pitches in those seven innings against FAU. On Saturday... It was Dylan Burns who improved to one and two on the season. Another seven innings. This time, two hits, scoreless baseball in seven innings, two walks, six strikeouts for Burns. And then on Sunday, it was Colin Sullivan. He goes six innings, 97 pitches over those six, two runs given up, five hits, no walks, and has 10 strikeouts on the day against FAU. I would expect that those will be your starters coming into Lubbock as those three are also the innings pitch leaders on the season for the Bulls. Jasiak, the Friday starter, has a 164 ERA, 33 innings pitched. His strikeouts to walks is 37 to 5, and he's allowing a 215 batting average. That's a guy that certainly seems to have some poise on the mound, although I would argue he has not seen a team like Texas Tech, certainly with the offensive powerhouse, that it can be when everybody's working. Dylan Burns has a 338 ERA, 24 innings pitched. His strikeout to walk is also impressive, 30-6. to He's allowing a 253 batting average against in 91 at-bats. And Sullivan has a 630 ERA. He's only had 20 innings pitched. You have three more guys that are in the 14-16 to range that are doing the midweek work for the Bulls, so there's a possibility to see somebody like Baron Stewart, Brad Lord, or Orion Kirkering enter the game or at least be long relief for these guys. Sullivan, 20 innings pitched. His strikeout to walks, get this, 25 strikeouts has not walked a batter all season. 90 at-bats has walked no one, but he's giving up a 311 batting average to the batters he's facing. He's given up three doubles, four home runs on the season. Got a wild pitch, has one HBP. But overall, uh, a guy that he's given up 28 hits, 18 runs, 
and sounds like some big ones. So Texas Tech could feast on this USF pitching, at least later in the weekend. Really the question, can the Red Raiders get to Jack Jasiak, and will they be able to push that ERA higher? I think they will. I don't see any reason why Drew Baker would slow down. He hit 538 against the Oklahoma State Cowboys, some of the best pitching in the Big 12, maybe even the country. He also earned Big 12 Player of the Week honors as a result. You keep Drew Baker in the top three, and you're going to still see some solid hitting. Then add Jace Young, Cal Conley into that mix, and then see what some other guys can do who's got the hot hand on the weekend. I also want to tell you a little bit that we've got an updated schedule section over there at redraiderdugout.com. Go check that out. Brand new, updated, and redesigned. You can move the slider on any game. If it's already happened, you'll see the final score graphic there. You can click that. It'll take you immediately to the recap story that we wrote for that one. Underneath that graphic is also the on-deck or series update preparing you for that game beforehand. So kind of an archive there. Any game that hasn't happened yet, you can find broadcast information, TV, radio information, as well as the Big 12 look-aheads that George Watson put together for us. And if we've written the on-deck or series update yet, that'll be linked there as well. So go check that out. Also saw Robert Duggar. He had a start in the Cactus League in spring training. As always, you can go check out our Red Raiders in the pros section. Keep up with everybody from Texas Tech that's currently playing professional baseball, whether it be MLB or at any other level. We keep that updated and keep constant tabs on what those guys have going on, where they're getting assigned. actually saw a video just tonight of Stephen Gingery and his rehab after two elbow surgeries, finally starting to throw some baseballs and get his arm back in shape. So we're excited for Gingery and what's to come for him. All right, to wrap things up tonight, I'm going to get a little bit in my feels, y'all. I want to talk a little bit about Tim Tadlock. I know I have a love fest for him, at least, you know, every other episode. But this one was kind of particularly poignant for me. After the loss on Friday night, I asked Tim Tadlock in the postgame just if a pitcher's duel like we saw that night changes his approach to how he manages a game. I meant it as an honest question of, is that something that changes how you do things, or do you keep it the same? I I had nothing else in mind. I didn't have any particular situations I was thinking about, but this was Coach Tadlock's answer. Oh, I think you can always look back and go, hey, should we have bunted? Um, We had two opportunities probably to bunt in the three-hole, one time to move the runner up, one time to score a run in a first and third situation with no outs. You can go back and look at the – Look at our box scores, and over nine years, you're never going to see one with no outs in the three-hole up. Um, and you're probably not going to see a whole lot of sack bunts. Um, you know, you want that, you know, as far as that goes. And so that was the two things where I look back on it and go, could I made a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of could have managed the game different. But I don't think that's managing the game the way the game's supposed to be played. Um, you know, we, we try to let these guys uh, swing the bat a little bit. And again, you know, it just didn't work out tonight. But yeah, I mean, those are two situations. I mean, if that's what you're talking about, I mean, I'm, believe me, I'll lose sleep over it. So one, I felt awful because I wasn't trying to poke Tad or 
make him beat himself up even more. But it also was really poignant to me that we've got a guy in this position, to me, that you could really make a lot of comps with Chris Beard. A guy that's going to take it on his shoulders, that's already 15 or 20 minutes after the game ends, he's already beating himself up about the decisions he made, his own philosophy about how to coach baseball and how the game should be played. He's questioning all of that in the moment. And so that wasn't my intent, of course, but that's not why I'm playing it for you. I want you to see the character of the man that's leading these Red Raiders. But I also want you to think about what these guys have been through. And so Coach Tadlock has a great sense of humor. He sat down for the post-game press conference on Sunday. The basketball game was going. He's like, hey, there's no TV in there. We got to get this thing moving. And I think it's hilarious. But I did ask him one final question that evening, and I wanted you to hear it and hear his response because let's put some things back in perspective here for this team. Coach, this was game 20. You didn't get a Big 12 series last year. You only got through 19 in 2020. I mean, how does it feel? You're appreciating them a little bit more right now as you get into territory you didn't get to find in a, in a tough year last year? Yeah, I think everything about it. I mean, I think um... – People being in the ballpark this weekend at 75% capacity, if that's what it was. Um, people getting to enjoy a baseball game. Our guys getting to enjoy a baseball game. Um, our guys every day getting to go to practice. I mean, all that was something that was taken away from everybody. Anything that you had a passion for was kind of taken away from you. And these guys, these guys really do love playing baseball. They love preparing. And, yeah, absolutely, it's sweeter every time you get to put that uniform on. 20 games. We have now played one more game than we were able to play in 2020. This team has played a Big 12 Conference Series, something they did not get to do in 2020. I'm not saying we're living on borrowed time, but I think that we need to remember and cherish and enjoy everything that this team is bringing to the field, every opportunity to lace them up and get out there and play baseball, I think is a blessing. And we need to remember that. I saw what was frankly sickening behavior by Red Raider fans on social media following the basketball team's loss. I was frustrated. I was sad. And I saw a man of high character in Chris Beard pour his heart out in front of the media because of how much he loves his guys and how hard all of them worked through an unprecedented year to fall a little bit short. And that bothered me. It bothered me because we as Red Raiders should be better than that. And it bothered me because we as human beings should all remember how precious what we're getting to enjoy now is because it was a short year ago it was all ripped away. So keep that perspective, please. As we go forward, keep that perspective in the baseball season and the track season and everything else that's to come for these Red Raiders because it can all be ripped away in an instant. Anything in your life, like Coach Tadlock said, anything you're passionate about, it was taken away. And just remember that all of it is something to be enjoyed right now. And it's something to be kept in perspective as we enjoy it, even when the times get tough. So keep that in mind this week, folks. Thanks for letting me preach a little bit and get on my soapbox. I didn't want to do a throw and ched segment there. It was just something that had been on my mind and on my heart a little bit. I thought Coach Tadlock's words 
helped solidify how I felt about it. So hope to see you around the ballpark this weekend. Make sure you tune in to watch these Red Raiders take on the South Florida Bulls before we head into the meat of the Big 12 season. Now, if you didn't see, one midweek game was added on April 27th. The Red Raiders will be playing the University of New Mexico Lobos at Dan Lawfield at Rip Griffin Park. That one will also be televised on ESPN Plus, and I know that they are actively still trying to add games even now to fill some of those midweeks. They want to play that full 56-game schedule. So keep an eye out and keep an ear out for how things shake out and if more is added right now. We hope to see you around the ballpark. Tune in. Thanks for supporting Dinger Derby and RedRaiderDugout.com. Go follow me at Keith B. Patrick. Follow Randy at Randy Rosetta. Follow the website at Red Raider Dugout on all your social media channels. We'll talk to you soon. Be good. Enjoy some baseball. Until we see you, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout. And find more great tech baseball coverage at RedRaiderDugout.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back soon with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck em tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me